0: Hello and welcome to Food with Mark Bittman. I am Mark Bittman. I'm happy to tell you that I have the lovely Leslie Nickel with me today, who you know as Mrs. Patmore. Yes, we have Mrs. Patmore. We'll get to that in a second. Meanwhile, I want to remind you that you can always reach out to us at, at MarkBitman.com and please do. We will answer your questions when we can. Please subscribe to our near daily newsletter, also The Bitman Project at bitmanproject.com, and subscribe to this podcast as well, of course.
1: Hold up.
2: At greenlight.com slash ACAST.
0: Have you ever bought something, owned something that really inspired you to up your game? A tennis racket, a new pair of running shoes, a new piece of cooking equipment that made you just want to cook your brains out? I know that when I first started cooking on induction burners, I just couldn't stop. It was so much fun. When we own exceptional things, they inspire us to do exceptional things. The all-new Lexus GX has an exceptional capability that will have you seeing possibilities you never knew existed. Its advanced technology and luxurious interior mean that wherever you go, you'll never go without. Some of the features that are available on this car include dynamic sky panorama glass roof, front row massaging seats, you know you want that. Available 33-inch all-terrain tires, which you will want when you check out the multi-terrain select. These are really great features, the kind of features that will make you proud and happy to own a Lexus GX. Live up to the all new Lexus GX, luxury beyond limits. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer. It is really easy to have a guest that everybody loves, and everybody loves the guest I have today. Many of you know her, most of you know her, as the curmudgeonly cook Mrs. Patmore from Downton Abbey, and the second movie of that comes out this week. You know, Downton Abbey was, I mean, I don't know anything about statistics, but I can imagine it was the most rewatched show of the pandemic, or certainly among them. The first movie I found kind of disappointing, but... Leslie promises that the second is awesome. So anyway, I'm going to go see it. I'm even going to go see it in the theater, which I almost never do. Anyway, most of us know Leslie as Mrs. Patmore. But some of you, and I'm talking to you, Kevin, and all the kids who are as young as our family's friend, Kevin. Some of you love her from her work as Mrs. Beaver in The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. And yes, I talk with her about that and the beaver suit. Before even arriving at Downton, Nichols spent much of her career as a series television regular and is also known for her theater work. The joy and appreciation she brings to her work and her passions outside of her job is apparent, and um, this is a fun interview. I think you really like it. Before we start, I'd like to express my condolences to Ms. Nichols, whose husband, David Keith Heald, passed away suddenly earlier this month, shortly after she and I talked. From me and my team, Ms. Nickel, we're sending you our love. Okay, should we start? I do have a lot of questions, so it's sort of, Leslie, depends how chatty you want to be.
3: I'll be whatever you want. I I don't have a huge knowledge of food, I'll
0: tell you that. Yeah, I'm not asking you cooking questions, but that alone is a great line. But I am going to ask you some (laughs) some questions about food. But let me just officially say welcome (laughs) to Food with Mark Pittman. It's really nice to have you here. Thank you, Mark. This is not in my official notes, but I kept saying, I think that you're old enough for this to be meaningful to you, but I kept saying, I'm interviewing Mrs. Bridges. I'm interviewing Mrs. Bridges. And then I would be like, oh, no, 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 wait. It's Mrs. Patmore. It's Mrs. Patmore. Yeah. But I keep, so I watched some YouTube clips. And for those who don't know, Mrs. Bridges was really the identical role on the original Upstairs, Downstairs.
3: And yet not. Do you know what? When we started this, I looked up the same thing because, yes, of course I'm old enough. I wasn't a huge watcher of Upstairs, Downstairs, but of course I knew who Mrs. Bridges was. And I, out of interest, thought I should have a look and see what she's like. Well, we're kind of polar opposites because the first thing that struck me was she's incredibly slow. She'd be going, oh come on, Ruby. And she'd be doing a nice gentle kind of thing with her fool. <laughs> and I went, well, Mrs. Palmer is never allowed to be that slow. Maybe having a cup of tea at the end of the night, but generally not, because right. it didn't fit our story, you know.
0: But her relationship with i well, not Ruby, I think it was, is yes, very Ruby, similar yeah. to yours with Daisy. And she's also that kind of same sort of autocratic.
2: It's my
0: yeah. kitchen. You know, I'm gonna run it anyway. That's just me. I was a faithful watcher of Upstairs, Downstairs, and I was a faithful watcher of Downton Abbey. And like everybody else, I rewatched all of Downton Abbey during COVID. And then I told everybody I knew that if they weren't doing that, they ought to be doing that. Oh, good for you. (laughs) (laughs) So, um, there were six seasons of Downton Abbey. Obviously, you were in all of them. Now there's two movies or the new mm-hmm. movie is coming out this month there are some real diehard downton fans you must get made when you walk down the street people must know you what's that what's that like for you
3: no it's not so it's much very, no it happens some days a lot and then it doesn't happen it's very unpredictable it really is it happens in the most bizarre places i was recognized in a field in china um <laughs> Sophie and I who plays Daisy. We were recognized at Ground Zero by a lady from New Zealand. Uh, I mean it's bizarre. People hear my voice when I'm in America particularly. It's the voice that they yeah. go, hang on a minute, I know that voice. Um, <laughs> but you know, at home in London, I, I get on a bus. I don't hide away from anybody. You know, I live a very normal life. So I'm not being, you know, stalked <laughs> by anybody. Um, it just happens sometimes and then not if we're in a gang together, of course, that's when it really then then you can get a big old reaction. Yeah.
0: But you've done TV forever for that's been your career.
3: And theater. Yeah.
0: And theater, yeah, we're gonna get to that, I think. But Downton is one of these major players up there with the sopranos and breaking bad and so on in this kind of new golden era of TV. But you were part of some really nice storytelling in the old days, um, before there was this sort of prestige television. And I wonder if you could just talk a little bit about your experience then and now and the differences, and if you have any fond memories of that.
3: Well, I I was in, um, I mean, I was in, I've been in some weird things over the years. Um, I played Mrs. Beaver in The Lion, the Witch, in the Wardrobe for the BBC. Now, there's a right. certain age group, and Forgive me, they're younger than you. Maybe I'll tell you what. I'll Most give you an example. People are
0: at this point. Well, exactly
3: quite. Me too, darling. <laughs> but I will give you an example. Dan Stevens, who played Matthew in the first three seasons of Downton, uh, you know, the, the Lady Mary's husband. Yes,
0: poor Matthew. Absolutely. Poor Matthew.
3: Poor dead Matthew. Well, he came up to me one day in tears, but well, not sobbing, but, you know, a bit moved. And I said, darling, what's the matter? And he said, I've just found out you were Mrs. Beagle.
0: <laughs> <laughs> because it he was with? a kid when that was.
3: Yeah, and I met somebody the other day. Well, I didn't meet her. She came to see my show and she sent me a message and she said that was the most played VHS in our house for years because she's that age. You know, she's probably in her 30s, something, mid 30s, something like that. And it's just, you know, that I've done some things in my career that meant something to people, which I'm really pleased about. Another is a thing called East is East, which I don't think you'll know at all which was a play I did at the Royal Court Theatre in London. It was about a mixed-race family. So the mum was British, the dad was Pakistani. And it had a big impact, not just on the Asian community, but it, actually particularly for them, but anybody who's in a family. It was about struggles within the family. But the, the mixed-race people that I knew and, and worked with said, this is the first time we've had a proper story about it. what it's like to be mixed race and not fully accepted by either community and so it really did it landed really fiercely with them and that was very good to be a part of it felt great that a light was shone on their situation and it and it helped people understand more you know things like that it's nice to i mean i loved the job we made a film out of it we made a sequel it was a great job But the fact that it had some impact on people's lives in a good way was obviously a bonus.
0: Yeah, Yeah, it's always nice to feel that way about your work.
3: For any of us, you know, any of us, if we can make a difference, it's nice, right?
0: So we have this friend, Kevin, who's a good friend of ours. Um, When I say ours, I mean sort of my my kids and mine. He loved The Lion, the Witch, and the wardrobe. And he asked me to ask you this question about Mrs. Beaver, which is... that you wore this full, absolutely enormous, full-body beaver suit, and he wants to know what it was like to do that and whether you could eat in it. Well, that's a
3: really good question, tell him. The body was like an egg shape, so I put that on like a big piece over my head. Right. Our, our feet were in little webbed booties. Tell him this, because it is funny. The bottoms of the booties were made out of leather, and we were filming in Scotland in the snow, and we kept slipping, falling, and rolling down the mountainside, and then the director would shout out, Beaver Down!
0: <laughs> and then two guys from
3: the crew came running down, picked us up, and they became known as the Beaver Retrievers. Funny. And then on my face, if he remembers that, I had a kind of hat thing, which was the which is the outside of the fit. Then I had a sort of snout glued to my face. And the answer to his question is, my dinner used to get stuck up in the snout because I couldn't take it off because it was glued on. And um, that was that was challenging. <laughs> but it was a good job.
0: I loved it. <laughs> That's great. Annie Gray, who's a well-known and fabulous food historian, did an incredible job of researching and collecting recipes to showcase in, in Downton. How much of this, you, you said, when we first started that you're not a great cook, but how much of this did you know about? And um, was it important for you and Daisy? Doesn't matter.
3: I didn't need to know anything because we didn't create anything. We had a wonderful home economist called Lisa who uh, was on set with us, would make the dishes. And we would always say to her, what are these? And what's more, if we were making anything in in a scene, we lucked out. One of our props guys was an ex-chef and we would say to him, what are we doing? We never randomly just stirred for no reason or, mm-hmm. uh, you know, we would say, what is this? What do we do? Where, at what point are we? And he'd say, that's a hollandaise sauce and you're doing this and you're doing it like this because you don't want the lumps to, to create, you know, all of that. He would give us specifics. And very quickly, because neither Sophie, who plays Daisy, nor I are any kind of cook, we made sure that we never did anything too technical. So I... You, if anybody watches it closely, they'll see I never do anything like even rolling pastry. I won't do that because I won't do it right. I season things. I stir. I present things, and I shout at people. And that seems to me what the chefs do, (laughs) isn't it? That's kind of Gordon Ramsay in one, you know. (laughs) But we weren't randomly doing anything. We would always find out what time it was, so we would know where we were with the dinner. And as it got closer to the meal presentation it would get faster and that that's also logical you know I mean
0: it it always looks authentic and I have to say as an as an American we don't have a national cuisine obviously but as an American the food looks kind of foreign I mean that is to say yeah there's a lot of stuff I have to say well actually what kind of tea cake is that or is that a a trifle or what (laughs) Yeah. yeah yeah sorry go on well, I just wonder, what. also, it's changed. I mean, the series started before World War I, and now this year's film, I think, takes place in 1928. So that's a generation. Uh-huh. And we've seen that evolution among the characters and so on. Has the food changed at all? Have they done anything?
3: I'll tell you what has changed is the, the staff in the kitchen. At the very beginning, it was full of kitchen maids, houseboys, footmen. I mean, it was packed with people. And this is, I mean, this isn't the answer to your question, but um, that is the obvious thing that would change over the years because they got rid of people. So they were m- on, a, on a much lower kind of scale of staff. And um, as far as the food goes, to be honest with you, Mark, I was, it wasn't my department. And mad right, I right,
0: understand <laughs> that stuff. How about the purveyors? Are you dealing with as many purveyors or more purveyors than you were in the first season or two?
3: In reality, they grew a lot of stuff on the on the estate. And that's that's logical too, you know. So the vegetables and all of that, that was all, you know, masses of that, all was tons of that outside the kitchen, and we assumed that they were growing all of that. I mean, I think she she had Mrs. Patmore had a good relationship with the local butcher and you know, she would get the finest of everything that she right. could find. Right. And that's that's also part of what we were told at the very beginning in that if she looks a bit crotchety sometimes it's because the stakes are really high because she can't serve a rubbish dinner you know she's got to serve good food and it's got to be the best you can't go to downtown and have a, a terrible meal which explains why she was a bit stressed sometimes right i'm, I'm defending her here you can hear no, me. no i think
0: <laughs> i mean any any chef, but especially someone who's cooking for the same family every single night and has a certain level that they've got to clear all the and time. Guests,
3: of course. I mean, it yeah, could be royalty
0: guests. for that matter.
3: Indeed, so, yeah. and were right. yeah. But I mean, one day Lisa brought in a dish and I looked at it and I said, "Good grief, what's that?" And she said, "Well, it's it's olives in aspic." Now, who'd want to eat that? That's kind of olives in a jelly thing. But she said they used aspic because it preserved the food. But it looked, revol- I mean, it looked fabulous, but you wouldn't want to eat it, is what I can say. And the other classic thing we had one day, they brought a lobster in, which was a real lobster. And it looked fabulous on camera. And everyone was going, wow, that looks amazing. Well, unfortunately, of course, that's a long day under the lights. The lobster started whipping quite badly. But they looked so great. They went and put it in the deep freeze and brought it out another day, by which time it was toxic. <laughs> so that, that did happen.
0: That sort of leads to my next question. I've done a little bit of television and I've done a fair amount of food television. Um, uh-huh. And I think it used, maybe it used to be more extreme than it is now, but food stylists used to have all these tricks. I can't remember what show I was watching the other day, and someone said, The guy who's going to eat this steak on set is a vegan. Can you make ah. this steak? And the food stylist said, I can make a steak out of apples that'll look exactly like steak. Exactly. So I'm wondering exactly. if you have any stories like that about yes, food stylist I, tricks.
3: I do know that she would use a little bit of fish to to pretend to be chicken because it was less likely to turn nasty. And I think it, it you know it looked the same and it was lighter to eat. And she did that. And I mean, I am pretty much vegan myself, so not that I got to eat anything, as you would have noticed, but um, she, she, yeah, they, they're wonderful. They can do anything. They can change anything into anything. And, you know, they would always say, if you're having a cup of tea, do you want soy milk? You know, I mean, they'd always have an option, always. And when I think about what she, in answer to your question earlier, when I think of what she would bring to set, there were some brands that would just make things look a bit more old-fashioned, because that was their, you know, the thing they do now. Like some stores would have tea cakes that look like an old fashioned tea cake, or they would go to, have you heard of the Women's Institute? I don't think no. so. That is a kind of organization in the UK, which women predominantly join, obviously. Um, and it does lots of things now, but in the old days, and, and they still do, they make cakes and they sell them. You know, So, they, so there's a lot of home baking going on. Right. So they would often source their stuff from there because it would look truly like somebody in the kitchen had just made it.
0: Well, that's really cool.
3: Very cool, yeah. So it didn't look like it just came from Marks and Spencers or somewhere, you know.
0: But is there a kitchen, a functioning kitchen on set?
3: On my set, no. Uh, she would have to make it in advance and bring it to set. There is a kitchen. There is a functioning kitchen at Highclere Castle, but of course, the food was never presented there because you don't, you may not know. But all the downstairs scenes were on a set in London, in Ealing Film Studios. Well, the upstairs rooms were at Highclere Castle, which is about an hour away from London, but food food would be presented. Well, actually i not think that food was served there, of course it was in the dining room. Yeah. So she must have already prepared it. But there is a kitchen that works there because it's a working castle and you know our family lives there and they have a lot of guests visiting and so on. So she probably did use their kitchen, come to think of it. Yeah.
0: And she produced real food, right? Because the totally. people do appear oh God, yeah. to be eating it.
3: What was interesting was they obviously, it was different food for upstairs because when we had meals, I, by the way, would rarely sit down because Mrs. Patmore was supposed to be in the kitchen eating with her maids. But what they would have often was bread and cheese and sort of soupy stuff.
0: Right. They didn't
3: didn't have a vastly wonderful menu. It was pretty (laughs) simple. But yeah, a lot of bread and cheese went down. Yeah.
0: Yeah, Yeah, well, you have to figure that Whoever is cooking for the family is probably also cooking for. I guess you say downstairs. It feels a little weird, but anyway, also well, cooking for downstairs. So yeah. you have to cut corners somewhere, and obviously, sure. you're not going to cut corners on the family. So
3: no, no, yeah. no, no. So it would be a matter of taste, honestly. I mean these 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 servants are not downtrodden. I mean they 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 live a fairly good life in the sense that they they are well and they are clothed, and they do have a good job and they're respected for their jobs by their peers. So we were told that very early on. Don't think of them as the crushed, you know, sad downstairs people because they're not. In fact, if anything, I would say there was more of a kind of class system downstairs than than there is upstairs, to be honest.
0: Yeah, well, that makes sense, actually. Hold
1: up. What was that?
2: Parents can send instant money transfers, automate allowance, and more. Plus, keep an eye on spending with real-time notifications. Join more than 6 million parents and kids building healthy financial habits together on Greenlight. Get your first month free at greenlight.com slash ACAST. That's greenlight.com slash ACAST.
0: We're all drinking more water these days, and we're all concerned that we're drinking safe, clean unpolluted water. Yet according to our friends at the Environmental Working Group, three out of four homes in the United States have harmful contaminants in their tap water. That's why it's worth checking out AquaTrue. AquaTrue purifiers use a four-stage reverse osmosis purification process and their countertop purifiers work with no installation or plumbing. They remove 15 times more contaminants than ordinary pitcher filters and are specifically designed to combat chemicals like PFAS, you know, those forever chemicals in your water supply. PFAS, by the way, is found in almost 45% of US tap water. Aquatru has water purifiers to fit every type of home, from installation free countertop purifiers to higher capacity under sink options. Their proprietary purification technology is independently tested to remove over 80 of the most harmful contaminants, including chlorine, fluoride, arsenic, PFAS, nitrates, and many, many others. Today, listeners to Food with Mark Bittman receive 20% off any Aquatru purifier. Just go to Aquatrue.com. that's A-Q-U-A-T-R-U dot com, and enter code Bitman at checkout. For 20% off any Aquatru water purifier, go to Aquatru.com and use the promo code Bitman B-I-T-T-M-A-N. Have you ever bought something, owned something that really inspired you to up your game? tennis racket, a new pair of running shoes, a new piece of cooking equipment that made you just want to cook your brains out. I know that when I first started cooking on induction burners, I just couldn't stop. It was so much fun. When we own exceptional things, they inspire us to do exceptional things. The all-new Lexus GX has an exceptional capability that will have you seeing possibilities you never knew existed. Its advanced technology and luxurious interior mean that wherever you go you'll never go without. Some of the features that are available on this car include dynamic sky panorama glass roof, front row massaging seats, you know you want that. Available 33-inch all-terrain tires, which you will want when you check out the Multi-Terrain Select. These are really great features, the kind of features that will make you proud and happy to own a Lexus GX live up to the all-new Lexus GX luxury beyond limits experience amazing at your Lexus dealer you mentioned that you're a vegan it's in the press materials too so I wanted to ask you about that how that came about and how long you've been eating that way
3: well I, I say I'm I'm verging toward well I'm very much verging towards I'm not a hundred percent yet but that's just the way it is but I the reason this happened very briefly I one of the things that came into my life from Downton Abbey was I've become involved with animal welfare and I got involved with a a charity called Animals Asia and they rescue bears from the bear bile industry Mm. in China and Vietnam and that's been a a complete joy for me Um, I never knew anything about them I didn't have any real I loved animals but I wasn't involved in any way because of the fact that being in a high profile show like this means you can actually help people out a bit and we could raise money for for various causes that's what happened i got involved with animal asia i got to know a wonderful woman called Jill robinson who created this charity she's one of those amazing people who's you know just what she's done is off the scales really in mm-hmm. terms of building two huge sanctuaries which are phenomenal and she's she's made a she's about to Get the thing banned in Vietnam altogether. So she's extraordinary. She's now a very dear friend.
0: Tell me what the issue is again. That she's getting what banned in?
3: Okay, bear bile is in the gallbladder of moon bears. They produce bile, and in traditional Chinese medicine, that bear bile has been proven to help with certain issues like eye, you know, eye issues, liver issues, and so on. So because that was a thing that there would be these bear bile, they call them farmers, it's not farming. They would trap bears in terrible tiny cages so they couldn't move. They would stick a pipe into the gallbladder. They would milk the bile from them on a daily basis. Mm. Unbelievably cruel. And the horrible thing is that they can do all of this with plants. You don't need to do that to any bear. Now, the Mm. good news is that it's about to become illegal in Vietnam because Jill has fought the fight and the government are on her side, and and the Chinese, the younger Chinese, know this is awful, and it's sustained on their country, and it will change. But it's made people money, so that's a worldwide thing, isn't it? You could right. do something that makes people money. Go figure, you know, they're going to do it.
0: Someone will do it. So
3: Jill is a dear friend. She was visiting me. I was working, I was living in Los Angeles, and she took me to somewhere called Farm Sanctuary, which is where they uh, introduce you to crops and farmed animals. And she she devious she is. She said. Well, you get to go and pet these animals. I went, like, oh, that's nice. I love that. Yeah. But while that's happening, um, they describe to you what would have happened if they'd not been rescued. And I was on the floor petting a pig called Sophie. And I just had this kind of look thing in my head where I think where I thought, I have two dogs who I adore. And I suddenly thought, why, why am I, why are we treating Sophie any differently from my two dogs? It was as simple as that. So I haven't I, without any problem, I've never eaten meat since that day. And I'm working my way towards being vegan because A, it's better for the planet, B, I don't want to be part of that kind of cruelty to animals. And it's good for your health. And I've lost a lot of weight right. as a result. Right. So there's nothing wrong in it, really. But I did, you'll be I because I'm not a cook, and because my husband is not vegan, and he used to be my cook. I had to go and do vegan cooking lessons in Los Angeles.
0: Oh, so you are cooking now?
3: I am, and I really quite like it. I've got a Vitamix and everything.
0: Again, you said you were—you said you were a bad cook, but now I'm starting to disbelieve you.
3: Well, no, to be honest, Mark. When people say we hear you, you don't cook, I say, well, the answer's changed, and it has because before I didn't have to cook, and I wasn't very confident because um, you know I just didn't—I didn't have the practice, but but. My husband was the guy who did all the, our food, and then I realized I'm not going to try and strong-arm him into doing something that doesn't suit him. So I have to find out what to do, and and the internet's marvelous. But I did have to go and get some very good cooking lessons to just kick me off and tell me what way to go. And I liked it. I do. I, I enjoy it.
0: At some point, I can't remember when it seemed there was a bit of a or a, a nascent romance between Mrs. Patmore and. Um Mr. Mason, Daisy's father-in-law, whose son, Will, right? got William died, Yeah, got killed. But he seemed like a great guy, Mr. Mason, and I'm wondering if there's a... I know we're not doing any spoilers, but is there a romantic interest for Mrs. Patmore in this season? You'd have to talk
3: to Mr. Fellows about that. (laughs) Um, Yeah, you'd have to talk to him about that, because he's the font of all knowledge, and he's the one that makes those decisions. So, um, yes, I refer you to, to... Lord Fellows. Okay,
0: politely declining to answer. Thank you.
3: Politely declining, but you're right. He is a lovely man and a gorgeous character. And Sophie and I adore Paul Copley, who plays that character. Adore him.
0: Yeah, Yeah, he seemed great.
3: Yeah, he is. Fabulous, yes.
0: I'm wondering if you're in New York, because you're in this McKittrick Hotel thing called How the Hell Did I Get Here?, which is um, everybody's been there because of Sleep No More. Can you talk a little about that show and how it came about and help me decide whether I want to go see it or not?
3: Mark, you do want to come and see it. I can promise you. Uh, no, what happened was I was in L.A., living there, and I got to know a very, very clever American songwriter called Mark Muller. And he's had a big, long career in pop, uh, predominantly. He wrote DuckTales, which is kind of fun trivia. That's just, he did. But, I mean, his his career is, He's written for a lot of big recording artists, so it's quite a big deal. But he was my friend, and, I, you know, that's the thing. I was never expected to work with him, but that would be weird, because I'm an actor who sings. I'm not, you know, I'm not what he's used to. Right. Anyway, long story short, because I don't want to bully the pants off you, but basically, one day I said to him, I'd love to do something. It won't be cabaret, because I'm not a cabaret singer. People can do that much better than me. But I'm an actor who sings. And I'm not quite sure what it is. And he went, oh God, this is vague, isn't it? I said, I know, it really is. Yes, (laughs) I'm sorry, (laughs) it's useless. So he's, and because he's a writer of many years experience, he said, look, should we just meet up and have a chat about this? Anyway, once we started, we couldn't stop. And I was hoping he might write me one song. I mean, that would be a big ask, but maybe he would. Once he got going, he couldn't stop. And he's written me 10 original songs. That's incredible. And what's more, Mark, and this is, I hope this gives you a clue as to, there's nothing cynical about this show. It's called How the Hell Did I Get Here? It is my story, but the whole point of it, and this seems to be happening, is that you sit there and it will ring bells in your head about how the hell you got where you are. That is what it's meant to do. And what is lovely is that Mark and I care very much about this. Um we're very keen for people to enjoy it. And he's on the road with me and we'll go, we'll play every show. Now you don't expect somebody of his calibre to be going on the road with somebody like me, but he, he doesn't want anyone else to play it. So he's with me every night playing. And I'll give you a little tiny example of something that happened. We were in Chicago before here and um four drag Queens came and um not in drag. I'm so sorry to say, but anyway, <laughs> one of them, one of them said to my producer afterwards, I've just sat for an hour and a bit with Leslie. I've laughed and I've cried and I've seen my my life in front of me. Now, that sounds bizarre, but that is exactly what we wanted it to be. And so, um, and New York really gets it, by the way. It's a very good place to do it because it, it's not about being an actor. It's about being a human being. Of course, there's stuff about dancing in it because there should be. And, of course, there is stuff about... Um, you know, terrible things, useless things I did along the way, which are which are funny, you know, um, and people here get it, you know, they sort of understand it. So I don't think you'd have a rubbish time. So Mark, pop on over, why don't <laughs>
0: you? <laughs> so it's your story, but the universal aspects of it told through song, or is there monologue also?
3: Yeah, yeah, it's totally me telling. It's, they, somebody described it, one of the reviews was part, part stand-up, which is a weird one because I've never done that. Part poignant storytelling, part musical comedy. So there's a lot of dialogue. There's a lot of me telling you stuff about how I started crippled with shyness and the picture of me looking, I'm in six, but I look 57, um, and, and why I became an actor, which is, again, nothing unusual about this. Loads of performers become performers because being on stage gives them some sort of, freedom that they don't have in life you know that's that's not where that's really common and and it goes on with issues of, you know parents boyfriends bleh, you know good bits bad bits the point being we are all the same because we're all we all have good bits and bad bits you can't avoid it right so that is that is what it's about
0: there's something about storytelling that that people really like obviously and always have you know,
3: but- now Mark, particularly now people have missed theatre, they've missed it terribly Um, and when I go out there it is me and them, It's that's what it is, it's me and the audience and it's different every night because they're different every night and the fantastic bit is that you know the Downton premiere is coming out May the 20th, well it's released on May the 20th some of the Downton family are coming in a few days before and I'm pretty sure they're all going to come and see it which is going to be really fabulous and a bit surreal because of course i'm talking about them and i mentioned the movie as well i don't say anything about it but i I mentioned the movie at the end and say it's coming any minute and people are thrilled they're so excited
0: yeah i think that's going to be really fun i'm curious about it
3: Um, yeah there you go
0: (laughs) i mean i'll certainly go see it immediately but i i actually found the movie the first movie I mean, I don't want to say anything disparaging, but I, I I there's something about a series that's just so meaty that you just can keep going and going and yeah. going. And I think
3: I, the thing about the movies is I'm, I haven't seen this one on the big screen and I can't wait. Like, you know, it's always been pretty cinematic, hasn't it, Downton? I mean it's mm. always you've always thought, wow, that would look good. Very beautiful, screen. yeah. Yeah. Well, trust me, this one is more with bells on. Um, because they go to the south of France. It's not just that, though. It just is beautifully shot, and there's tons of surprises in there. It's not like the first one. It's just a different feast, but it's very theatrical, and it's very cinematic, and it looks stunning, really. So, okay.
0: Well, so I'll yeah. go to the McKittrick and see you in the middle of the <laughs> month, and then I'll go to the movies a couple of nights later. There
3: you go. That sounds like a good plan.
0: Last question, which I ask everybody, which is, what did you eat for dinner last night? Now, we know you're in New York, so you're not cooking.
3: That's right. Well, actually, I am cooking. Um, oh, no, I'm I sorry. Count.
0: Bad assumption.
3: Yeah, quite. Yes, that's right. Everybody does eat out here, don't they? Yeah, hmm. yeah, No, I figured out I've got a vegan restaurant around the corner, and I had something called a fiesta bowl, which was delicious, which was rice, and I think it's called... Is it seitan? Satan? Yeah, seitan. Yeah. Yeah. With guacamole and, and and salad and corn and chips. And uh, it was delicious. Mm.
0: Sounds yeah. edible.
3: No, it's better than that.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I think that's it. I really, I've enjoyed this. We don't get to do a lot of, um, we've done a couple of theater people, but I um, really like it. Thank you. Good luck with everything. I'm sure you're doing great at McKittrick. I'm sure the film will be fabulous. So it's been great talking with you. Thank That's you so smart. much.
3: Thank yeah, you. Thank you so much.
0: We are going to do English cream scones from the official Downton Abbey Afternoon Tea Cookbook. There are a slew of Downton Abbey cookbooks, as you can imagine. Why not, I guess. But uh, this one, actually, I think is really, really good. And this recipe is for Kathleen, who's been dying to make scones for a couple months, so we will do that. But anyway, here's the recipe. Uh, I'm gonna go through it in more traditional fashion. That is, these are the ingredients. Two cups of flour, plus you'll need more for the work service, a tablespoon of baking powder, two teaspoons of sugar, plus a tablespoon for sprinkling, a teaspoon of salt, a half a cup of dried currants, three quarters of a cup, plus two tablespoons of heavy cream, and an egg white lightly beaten with a teaspoon of water. That's for the topping. Preheat the oven to 425, and you will want a sheet pan. You don't need to grease it. In a large bowl, whisk together that flour. That was two cups, baking powder, a tablespoon, the two teaspoons of sugar, and salt. Use a large spoon to stir in the currants and the cream just until combined. You do not want to work this dough any more than you have to. Use your hands to gather the dough together very gently and just knead it either with your hands or against the side of the bowl until it holds together, just holds together in a rough ball. And then uh, lightly flour your work surface and turn the dough out onto it. and Roll it out until it's about three quarters of an inch thick. Use a three-inch cutter to cut out rounds from the dough, pressing straight down and lifting straight up And, of course, spacing them as closely together as possible. Again, uh, you want swift movements. You don't want to beat this dough up. These should be tender when they're done. Place those dough rounds at least two inches apart on the sheet pan, your baking sheet. Gather up the scraps and roll them out again and cut out more rounds. You know the drill. Then use a pastry brush to lightly brush the tops of the scones with the egg white mixture, which was, again, one egg white lightly beaten with a teaspoon of water. And then sprinkle that evenly with your remaining sugar, which is about a tablespoon. Then bake until golden brown, 10 to 12 minutes. Cool on a wire rack and serve warmer at room temperature. Done right. And this is a good recipe. Done right. These are heavenly. Enjoy them. Thanks again to the wonderful Leslie Nickel for joining me on today's show. She's in our thoughts. Follow her on Twitter At Leslie underscore nickel. That's at L E S L E Y underscore N I C O L. Downton Abbey, a new era is in theaters May 20th. So any day now. And thank you all for listening. Please subscribe to the podcast and to our newsletter, The Bitman Project, at bitmanproject.com. Feel free to get in touch with us anytime. Thanks to Davis Lloyd, our engineer, Kate Bitman, our producer. Catherine Lowe, our business manager, my friend Moby for the fabulous music. Thank you all for listening and see you next week when we will have someone amazing. Bye.
1: Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. You can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. Hello, this is Danny Pellegrino, host of the Everything Iconic podcast, and I'm here to tell you all about Splash Refresher, because hydration is mandatory, but boring is not. Now, I love my water, but if I don't spice it up, I'm not going to finish what I took out of the fridge. That's why I love my Splash Refresher, which is flavorful, delicious, bright, hydrating, in zero calories the wild berry flavor is my fave no wait is the pineapple mango flavor my fave you know what all five craveable splash refresher flavors are my fave because they're so delicious so get hydrated and enjoy it with splash refresher
2: imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt now imagine them getting even softer over time